Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast with Hal Elrod. I'm your host, Nick Polkuski, and you're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you take your life to the next level faster than you ever thought possible. In each episode, you will learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals that most haven't. He is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, a Hall of Fame business achiever, an international keynote speaker, ultra-marathon runner, and the founder of VIPSuccessCoaching.com, Mr. Hal Elra. All right, goal achievers, welcome to another episode of the goal, no, I always mess up the title of my own podcast. The, uh, geez, achieve. Michael, maybe you can coach me. You're like a public speaking guru, genius. I need some private. This isn't public. It's like private public speaking. I'm in my office. I don't know. Well, you know, all speaking is public speaking, isn't it? That, that's unless true. Unless you're talking to yourself in your head. Yeah, that's true. Which right. I Sometimes I do that too. So, all right, <clears throat> let's start over. Goal Achievers, welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. This is your host, Hal Elrod. And uh, today, what's neat about today, we've had this before, but it's always a special experience for me when I get to interview someone who I've looked up to for a long time, someone that has been a mentor from afar. Uh, this gentleman, our guest today, Michael Port, I read his book, one of his many books, he has actually six books, uh, but I read his book, Book Yourself Solid. Um, I don't even know, it's, Michael, how long has that been out for? That was 2006. Okay, I was gonna say, I felt like it was, you know, could have uh, up to around 10 years ago. So all right, yeah, so maybe yeah. seven, eight years ago. Uh, really a game-changing book. I've recommended it to, you know, I don't know, dozens of my private coaching clients and probably hundreds of my group coaching clients. But uh, our guest today, he's been called an uncommonly honest author by the Boston Globe. He's been called a marketing guru by the Wall Street Journal and a sales guru by the Financial Times. Again, Michael Port is our guest. He is a New York Times bestselling author of six books, including what I mentioned, Book Yourself Solid, The Think Big Manifesto, and his hot new release, Steal the show, which we will ask him about uh, on the call today. Uh, but he's definitely a an expert in the area of achieving extraordinary goals. And uh, so I'm very excited to introduce you to Michael and his wisdom uh, today on the show. Michael, thanks for being on. It's my pleasure. So, you know, there's a lot of different directions that we could take the the interview today, but I want to start where I typically always start with with my guests. And it's it's kind of, you know, not necessarily the beginning, but really that defining moment where you know, all human beings are born with unlimited potential, but most of us, somewhere along the way, most people resign themselves to settling for a life of mediocrity. And it's that small percentage of people that at some point in their lives, they have a realization or a breakthrough or they learn something or they, they you know, achieve something or experience something at some sort of defining moment or maybe a series of defining moments that it causes them to realize that they can become great. And I want to know, what was your life like before you had that moment, that realization, and, and what was the defining moment for you? I think for me, it's been a seesaw over the years. I think when I was young, on one hand, I felt very confident that I could do a lot of the things that I was interested in doing. But at the same time, I also felt a little bit stupid and insecure. I went to a school that was pretty advanced and I didn't feel advanced. My friends were all getting straight A's with 1600 on their SATs and I wasn't at all. And I was very dyslexic and I still have trouble spelling. You'd be amazed at how bad my spelling is. Huh. 
So it was this um, sort of, I felt like I lived in two worlds. On one hand, I felt capable. On the other hand, I, I didn't. And when I was acting, that was my first career, and I had a modicum of success, I felt very capable, but I was impatient. Hmm. And I would, I would get frustrated if what I wanted to happen didn't happen quickly. And here's the thing. I would often pretend that I didn't care about something that I wanted as much as I really did. And I think that, that was a big, big deal. I think it's one of the reasons that I left acting. Because I think sometimes when you admit how much you want something, it's really scary. Hmm. And so if you, if you don't, if you don't really want it that much, you know, and then you don't get it, it's no big deal. But if you do want it and you do admit it and you go after it with everything you have and you don't get it, well, what does that mean? Hmm. Does that mean that, you know, you're not enough, you don't have what it takes, and that's what I, that's how I sabotaged my career as an actor. That's why I didn't get as far as I wanted to go as quickly. And that taught me a lot. That was a really, really big, big learning experience for me. But I didn't learn it until a number of years after I left the business. Hmm. Because I started to see it pop up in other areas of my life. And not until... I was willing to really be honest about how important things were to me. So much so that I would risk not getting them in front of other people. I really didn't start playing a big game. And when I started saying, listen, this is important to me. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to go after this with everything I have and not playing it cool anymore. Then things started happening because I do the work. I do what it takes. Uh, I'd extend myself, I'd get comfortable with discomfort. And, and over time, those things started making a difference. And then, you know, I was able to handle the responsibility that came along with doing bigger things. But this is not a, a before and after for me. This is a constant uh, process of learning more about myself, my strengths, my weaknesses. Now, I got to keep increasing the ability of responsibility that I can handle because our level of success, I think, is often directly proportionate to how much we can handle. And, and that's something that I find, you know, difficult right now. We're in this intense, you know, book launch period. And frankly, I don't really like it. You know, mm -hmm. some people get a charge from this, I think, but for me, I find it exhausting. I find this kind of, um, sort of launch mode of, of incredible high intensity for a period of time where you and everybody you work with, you know, gets burnt out and works, you know, so hard. I just don't, find that a worthwhile way of spending time, but it's often par for the course when you yeah. do these kinds of things. So you have to buck up and you gotta say, well, I know what the work is. I know what the job is. I gotta handle this responsibility uh, and, and, and move forward. And how much you can handle often determines how well you can do and the ability to admit how important it is. Like, I, I'm not gonna pretend that this book doesn't mean the world to me. I'm not gonna pretend that I don't care if it does well. I want everyone in the world to read this book for many, many reasons. And I'm not going to shy away from it. And I'm not going to back down from that. And that, you know, that can be scary sometimes. But that's made a difference for me. So it sounds like just the, the you know, I don't know if brutal is the right word, but just that this honesty with yourself being honest about. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but we are not hiding from things. I mean, you know, your your experience is very different. You had this really extraordinary experience that you know that opened your eyes to to the world in a different way. And I haven't had one of those particular type of defining experiences. But you know, uh, being more honest about you know who I am to myself and to the people around me is what allows me to grow and handle more responsibility. And you know, for example, there were many many years of my life where I would struggle with food. And it's not typical, it's not as typical for men as women to have food issues. But many men do and they don't talk about it. And, you know, people wouldn't really know because I was an athlete and, you know, I was fit. But I would overeat, you know, when I'd get um, stressed, uh, you know, sort of emotional eating. And I I would, it got to the point where I was in my 30s and I couldn't stop. Hmm. And then I started getting heavy. And then I started, you know, then I was embarrassed. Then I didn't want to go out and be on the stage. You know, this idea of performing in front of others all of a sudden wasn't that appealing to me anymore. And I had to, I really had to come to terms with the fact that I couldn't control myself when it came to certain foods, just like an alcoholic or somebody who has a a drug problem or some other kind of addiction. And for people who don't have any problems with food, they're like, what? How's that possible? It's just food. Yeah. You know, just like uh, I say, you know, with alcohol, I have no interest in alcohol. But I know what it does to people, just like I know what it does to food. So, um, so for me, I had to really make some major changes in the way that I lived in order to manage that and uh, and 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 find some control over it, uh, but still be vigilant every day to make sure that you know that I'm taking care of myself and and doing the things I need to do to move forward and not being afraid to talk about it. Like I'm not a man or something, or I'm not. Yeah cool or you know people are gonna be like oh i'm not gonna read his books because he couldn't stop eating cookies you know i just <laughs> you know and if that's the case that's fine you know then yeah. maybe you know they're not my uh my ideal uh client so in any event that's uh those kind of things are, are have really made a difference in my life and i keep working on it well uh, you know i'd love i love your i love your honesty i love your vulnerability I- i'd like to go down this rabbit hole a little bit um, the food issue and, and, and for the bigger picture of our audience, um, you know, food was your, it was your vice. It was your, it was the thing for you that, uh, that you lost control over, or you could say lost discipline over lack yeah. of discipline in that area. So what I'd love to, to just dive a little bit into is, um, how you overcame that and, and sure. with our, for our audience members, take the area of your life that you lack discipline in, right? This is yeah. really what I want to pick Michael's brain on here is, what area of your life do you lack discipline? Is it food? Is is it alcohol? Is it is it lack of exercise? Is it you know? Do you indulge in Facebook in the computer? Do you do, mm-hmm. where, where do you lack discipline and lack control? Mm-hmm. And I and sure. I love for people to apply whatever you're about to share, Michael. Uh, you know how they can apply that to their own life and their own vices. Yeah. So I would make a distinction between discipline and addiction. I think okay. those are two different things. I think that once you get to the point where you have an addiction to something. The discipline is, it's just out the window. You know, you can't, an alcoholic can't say, well, I'll have just three drinks a day. Because once they start down that rabbit hole, as you said, there's no turning back. Once they have one, they have to have two, and then three, then four, then five. So there are some things we we need to have more discipline around. Like, for example, you know, the way that uh, I manage my time I might need to be a little bit more constrained around. You know, I have to create constraints to keep me focused on the things I need to do. But I don't have an addiction problem with that. Uh, that's something that, you know, just takes um, more responsibility, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But then the food thing for me is, 
is more, uh, I look at it more like an addiction because the way that I was able to manage it was just by completely cutting out the things that don't serve me, period, full stop. Mm-hmm. Like I don't eat cookies, I don't eat cake, I don't eat fried foods, um, you know, and I just don't eat things that uh, would trigger that type of behavior. And then it makes it easier because uh, I'm not, uh, you know, look, food you have to eat all day long. You know, you have to eat three times a day. So you can't just stop eating food. It's a little different than, mm. than uh, some other type of substance. So you just have to make sure you're eating the things that don't get you in trouble. And I think there are many people who have uh, addictions that they don't recognize. And, you know, they go, that's ah, not that bad, you know. Uh, and, you know, it's every, people have lots of different things. Everything from um, drugs or alcohol or smoking uh, to uh, people. You know, we get addicted to uh, different dynamics uh, in our life with people, codependent relationships, um, porn. You know, there are a lot of different things yeah. that, you know, that people, you know, uh, get taken with because it's not, it's not hard to, to lose yourself in things that take your mind away from the reality of life. Yeah. And then, of course, there are other things that are more discipline related. So, uh, you know, the way that you work, um, you know, the commitment to a particular product development, marketing, sales, that you go all the way with it. You don't start and then stop and dabble. You know, you pursue mastery in different areas. You know, if you say you're going to save every month for retirement, you save every month for retirement, those kinds of things. And I often like to create um, constraints that there's no way I could make a change. For example, uh, one of the things that I'm able to do and, and someone like you're able to do if you have, um, if you have an S-Corp or a C-Corp uh, as your entity is you're able to create what's called a cash balance plan. And it's a defined benefit plan, typically used by large companies. But most small business owners don't use them because they don't have that much money to save. So you might use something called a SEP, and mm-hmm. you can put a certain amount of money into a SEP, and then uh, you know save for retirement. A cash balance plan is a is a tricky vehicle because once you commit to the amount of money you're putting away into that cash balance plan, you have to. Hmm. It, I mean, the govern the IRS says you have to, because the way the plan works is so that we have a ten year plan and we put. Uh, X number of dollars in it every year, and it we have to produce a certain amount of money for the employees, us, by the end of that 10-year period. And if we don't, we have to make that up. So I cannot get access to that money once it's in there. It's gone until it's time for me to retire. There's no access to it. You know, uh, someone, someone, uh, I could say, well, listen, I'm not going to do the cash balance plan because it's too restrictive. I, I want to make sure that, you know, I have some more flexibility. And then what happens? Well, you know what? I want to get a new boat. So why don't I just take that 250 grand that I was going to put into my retirement plan this month and I'll go buy a boat. Well, that's not a really good idea unless I've planned for it and saved for it. Uh, and this way I don't have a choice. I have to do it the right way. Yeah. And those kinds of things help makes a big difference. So setting, setting yourself up for success, kind of like automatic savings, right? It was an automatic yeah. millionaire, that book that just said, you know, set up automatic deductions every month. You don't, yep. you don't see the money. Yeah. 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 You're setting yourself up for success by not really having a choice in the matter. So I like this idea. People are like, I, you know, look, we live in a world where, where, you know, we're pitched nonstop about all the different options we have. And, you know, you can do 
in anything with your life. And, and, you know, and, and sometimes it's overwhelming because there are so many different choices. I mean, Barry Schwartz wrote a great book called The Paradox of Choice, all about how more is less. And the more choices we have, the harder it is to make a choice. And there are certain choices that would be great to do away with. So we don't have to think about them anymore. And then we can focus on the important things. And I like that idea. I like making really strong choices. It's one of the things that I write about in Steal the Show, this idea that top performers choose early and they choose often. Because people who make choices are very attractive people. And they often produce bigger results. They don't perseverate. I wonder, well, should I do this or should I do that? I'm not sure. They talk about it for you know years before they do it. They, it's the high performers. They make a choice and they go. And they do everything in their power to make it work. If it doesn't work, they put it aside and make another choice and they go again. Yeah. And so I, I like to get as many options out of the way that I don't need to be thinking about just to focus on what is actually important. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that whole, the, the choice, just making a choice, making a decision, taking action, moving forward, not, you know, sometimes obviously it can, it, it's almost like the, uh, it's the entrepreneurial mindset where it can be, uh, it can it can be problematic, but you know yeah. it's like you win more often than you lose. But you know, for me, I've often not thought through a choice, just made it, taken action on it, and then later gone. Oh, I probably yeah. should have thought that through better. But right. you know, Which seven, is, six yeah. out of ten, six out of ten were were good. <laughs> sure, you know. Yeah, and I you know I like to you know I write about it. You know, I make a distinction between choosing quickly um, and choosing often. Mm, and often it. is a relative term, isn't it? Yeah, sure, sure. So you know, I'm not saying you should say, ah, you know what. I'm going to write a book and you just start writing a book. You know, we, we want to be much more deliberate about the big things that have a major long-term impact, but there's a difference between being deliberate and discerning, uh, than perseverating and vacillating. Those are very, very different things. Hmm. So let's dive into some, just some, some strategy. You, you've achieved phenomenal goals, New York times bestselling author. I mean, you're a world renowned speaker. You put on live events. I mean, you do so much. Uh, what are your, if you had to break it down to like your top three tips and you know, it could be two, it could be four, but what are your top three goal achieving tips for our listeners that they can apply to whatever their goals are personally or professionally? So we already went through constraints. Normally that's one I'd put in there for sure. And we would okay. talk about that. So that's a bonus. We'll do another three. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but that is a big one is this idea of constraints. There's another book called The Theory of Constraints. And it's typically written for larger organizations, manufacturing companies, et cetera. But you can still get a lot from it if you understand the theory behind constraints. Um, I would also say focus is a big deal. Mm, yeah. It's a really, really big deal. And I know a lot of people struggle with focus. So that's, uh, that's, that's one of the big ones. I would say for me also, it's confidence. Now, I know that's a tricky one because people say, well, how do I become more confident? Yeah. You know, if I don't feel confident, they say, Michael, you feel confident. How do I become more confident? I don't feel that way. I don't always feel confident. I yeah. really don't. And what I figured out, uh, for myself at least, is that I really can't sit and meditate and feel more confident. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think about feeling confident and, be f and, and, and just be more confident. I have to do things in the world. I have to actually do the thing that I'm thinking about in order to feel confident. And so I get into action really quickly. And this way, 
you know, I, uh, I feel, for example, like I was talking about this cash balance plan and I manage our investments myself because over the years I've lost a lot of money uh, in, in lots of different investments uh, by taking the advice of, uh, of a lot of very uh, conflicted financial advisors. And when I say conflicted, meaning uh, their interests and my interests aren't exactly in line. <laughs> sure. So so we know how that, that rolls. And so, you know, when I, to manage the money, I, you know, it's a very serious proposition to me. So, um, so I don't, I don't just think about it. I need, in order to be confident, I need to dive deep into it and I need to do the thing in order to feel more confident. And so there's a learning, you know, piece to it, but there's also, uh, there's also a lot of action that's required to do the things that you need to do. So for me, that that really helps. So I think constraints, focus, confidence, and other people. It's always other people. You know, this idea of the, the self-made millionaire, I get it, I really do. This idea of, you know, people pull themselves up from their bootstraps. Yeah. I really get that. But do we really do it on our own? Yeah. I don't think so. No, I, I mean, what's the podcast? You're doing this with other people. You're doing the work to get out there and promote it and make it happen and the whole thing, but you're doing it with other people. I'm sure you've got producers. I mean, you're making that huge uh, film. You're not doing that alone. You're not the cameraman, director, writer, star, editor. <laughs> you're, not, you're doing it with other people. So without the other people in our world, we just do not exist. So the question that I often ask is, how do we become a person that others want to help? Mm. And that's something that, I love to consider because when I get pissy or grumpy or tired or feel like, you know, uh, woe is me. I've got so much on my plate right now. I ask myself, is that the kind of person that others want to help? Cause I don't think so. And, uh, you know, just remind ourselves of how freaking lucky we are. Even if we're not, you know, at the financial, you know, position that we want to be in, or we haven't accomplished everything we want to accomplish. But just the fact that we have options at all is extraordinary. And for me, these options, they result from relationships with other people. I mean, look, we can't, you, you and I write books. We can't get our books read without people supporting them and saying, listen, you got to go read, you know, Hal's book. You got to go read Michael's book. We live and die by the support we get from our friends and our colleagues. And so I put a lot of stock in people. I mean, that's my religion, man, people. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's something we need to do every single day is make sure that we're, you know, serving other people as we stand in the service of our own destiny. Well, I think you just, uh, you said so you asked the question earlier that you say you ask yourself, how do we become a person that other people want to help? And I think that you just kind of answered it there at the end, which is you, you add value, you know, you can phrase this different ways, but for me, it's, I just, I look to add value to every person I possibly can, you know, there's and, another, there's another great book ahead. that, um, I, I'm going to get people reading way too many books. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I've like, Oh yeah, wait, I have a book too that you should read. I forget about that. <laughs> um, no. So the, the other thing that I would consider, uh, is another book called Social Intelligence. Mm, okay. And it's by Dan that. Goldman, who uh, mm. really created the emotional intelligence uh, movement. And then he wrote Social Intelligence. And 
I love this book for a number of reasons. I think it is, is something, social intelligence is, can be learned. And it's such a key component of leadership because we need to understand uh, the dynamics that exist uh, in groups, uh, how we fit into groups, how we can integrate other people into our groups. Now, not just emotional intelligence, which is how we manage our own emotions, which is critical, of course, but social intelligence is something else. And social intelligence gives you lots of help. For example, during a book launch, it's the worst time to ask an author for a favor yeah. that is very um, time-consuming because they don't have a lot of time during that period. Sure. Uh, so we are always checking, like, you know, is this making someone's life harder or making it easier? And I think that that's a big part of social intelligence, trying to determine you know, how we fit into the lives of other people. And then if we make their life easier and we're an easy person, then of course they want to help us. So this is one of the things that we work with our kids on all the time. I keep just saying, be easy, hmm. be easy. So for example, we don't, we don't have um, screen time limits. So we don't say one hour of screen time or two hours of screen time. Because then we then you know what we have found is we start getting into this uh, period where some days you know what we let them watch a little bit more because they're homesick from school and then we have to rationalize justify well you're home from school so you can do a little more or we're on a six hour car ride and you know what you can do some more screens you know in a six hour car ride than you might normally be able to do so we let them use their screens if their homework is done. Um, but if we decide that we think it's enough and we just tell them it's enough, they just get off. That's what we say. And if you don't get off, as soon as we ask you to get off, then you just lose the screen. Hmm. It, there's no fight about it. There's no, we, we're not going to get angry. We're just going to take it. And what we found is that it, they're getting easier because they're learning that the easier they are, the more they get from us. Because if I don't worry that they're going to push back, when they're on the computer, if I ask them to get off, then I'm much more likely to say, yeah, yeah, take a little more computer time. Because I know it's gonna be easy to get them off. So the ease of, of relationships is so important. So, you know, when you're, when you're, your relationships with your family, if you think about it, like some people in your family are easy. Others, not so much. And the people that are not as easy are the ones that don't get included as much. Hmm. Yeah, that's something I learned as a, and I'm sure you've, same same thing here as a speaker you know i was taught that by my you know when i first learned how to become a professional speaker they go be easy speakers are such pain in the asses to work yeah. with you know they got all these demands and you got to fly them you know first class and you got to do this yeah. you gotta do that. just be easy to work with you know yeah. and uh yeah no it's true i mean as a as a as a speaker there are ver there are certain things that that i require um in order to do you know, the service to the audience that, you know, that I'm paid for, you sure. know, and they're, they're little things they're not big things, but, but the big things are the things that, that we really need to be easy about. So, you know, you show up and you're supposed to do 60 minutes and they start 15 minutes late and they say, listen, you know, we're, we're late. Can you still end on time? You go, of course, yeah. not a problem. Yeah. They say, listen, um, you know, our, our, our tech is messed up. We're not going to be able to do the thing you wanted to do with tech. No problem. Yeah. You know, we want to put you later. We're switching the order. No problem. So, you know, 
that really does make a difference. And it's the same thing, you know, in, in most situations. Now, you know, look, there's, you know, uh, all generalities are false, including that one. So, you know, I always, I always like to say that, you know, we don't live in a, in a black and white world. We live in a multicolored world. So there are certain times where we want to be very, very strong, you know, and our convictions uh, matter. And if we say, listen, this is what I need to do the job that you've asked me to do. This is what you're going to give me. And ultimately, it's for you. You know, that, that, that is a perfectly fine conversation to have with somebody if it truly is in service of them. But if it's not, then be easy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's, so, okay, so I love it. Constraints, putting constraints on uh, your, the areas of your life that can potentially cause you, you know, I don't know if harm is the right word, right? But Yeah, um, or, or even, let me give you one more example. Okay. Okay, so <clears throat> harm, you know, we we're talking about these intense things, but, you know, you can do a lot of harm to your own sanity your, your family dynamic and your life as a whole, if you don't make time for yourself and your family. Mm -hmm. so this is an obvious thing. Most people know this, but you know, when you are, when you're working hard, you're trying to, you know, move and shake and make your way in the world. You know, sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta dig it out and you will go that extra mile if the time is there for you to do it. So let's say you have the whole day open and you say, you know what, but I'm going to take the kids, you know, to their tennis practice this afternoon and then we'll go out for dinner and we'll do, you know, hang out. But then all of a sudden you're working during the day and you get caught up in your work and you're like, oh, I could just accomplish a couple more things. You know what? I'm not going to take you guys to tennis. You get yourself to tennis and then I'll see you later. Then you come home later and you just got deep into something else. And they're like, you know, dad, you said you're going to play ping pong. Well, I, I mean, I was going to, I can't. And that's really important. Yeah. Uh, there's, you might let yourself fall into that habit without even realizing it. So I create constraints in my calendar. It says, do not book period. And, and my assistant can't book in there and I can't book in there. There are, there are always exceptions. If Oprah calls, we're going to make an exception. <laughs> you know, true. there are certain things and there are certain times or a couple week period here and there where, say, for example, a book launch where you need more time to do the things you need to do to make that work. But if that becomes your way of being, uh, then you could, you know, lose sight of really what's important. So those kind of constraints are really important, too. Yeah, that, 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 that's a great point. I mean, I think that for me, that was a big game. I used to work, you know, I mean, back when I was an entrepreneur, kind of a new entrepreneur, I'd work until it was, you know, till nine, ten at night. And uh, then I got in a serious relationship, and my girlfriend, who is now my wife, she stuck stuck through it all. But uh, she would, you know, she would want time. What you know, you work from when you wake up until almost we go to bed. Yeah. You know, and so I went. I took that constraint from going, but I, I would miss out on you know all these hours of productivity. And I finally just said, all right, instead of nine, I'm gonna getting off at nine. I'm gonna get up at six, and and you figure it out, right? You you, you make it work, and and you figure it out. But you gotta. I think put your family and, and the people in your life, uh, you know, that are, that are most important to you. You got to make that a priority. So yeah, um, let's do, I want to do something I've never done before. Uh, mm -hmm. Michael, I've never done this before. I w it was actually, and we'll see if this works. This might, uh, this might be the first and the last time I ever do this, but <laughs> um, I was just developing, you know, uh, I'm, I, I've throughout, the, I've had the podcast now for, I don't know, a year or two and uh, I've always developed, you know, kind of how could I improve the podcast? How can I improve the experience for the listener? How can I improve the experience for the guest? How can I add more value, et cetera? And so uh, what I what I wanted to do, this is the goal, you know, Achieve Your Goals podcast, and, and everything is kind of 
targeted back to how can we help our listeners uh, achieve their goals. So I would love to ask for your best advice for three different scenarios for three different types of people that might be listening to the podcast. You up for that? Yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah, all right, do your best. I'll fill in. If, if you mess up, I'll fill in. Thank you. All Thank right, you. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so, all right. So what advice would you give to someone in each of these three scenarios? So scenario mm-hmm. number one, somebody who is, they've got big goals and dreams, but they're, they're not pursuing them, right? Something maybe is holding them back. Maybe it's fear, maybe self-doubt, limiting beliefs, lack of mm-hmm. clarity, mm-hmm. whatever it is, but they haven't really even gotten started. Maybe they're just working their day job, going through the motions. They've got big goals and dreams. They're pig talkers. They're not doers. What would you advise them to to start moving in the direction of their goals and dreams? One of the things they could consider is partnering up with somebody. Hmm. I think that working alone is difficult. It's not for everybody. You know, you've got to be so self-directed. Nobody's telling you what to do. And unless you are making promises to other people, you're just making promises to yourself that nobody knows about. And those are easy to break. So it doesn't mean you have to start the business with somebody else, but maybe you work on a project with them. You know, one particular offering that you put together that is with them. And you've got your own business, they got their own business, but you work on something together. Or maybe, you know, you get a couple of your uh, colleagues together who are also trying to do things, uh, and you actually work on each other's projects with them. Not as accountability partners, but let's say, let's say you know, you and I were just starting out, and I said, you know, listen, hell, I really want to write a book. But I'm just not getting it done, you know, and I'm procrastinating a lot and I could really use a writing partner. You say, well, okay, um, I don't really want to put my name on it because I'm not, that's not my area. Yeah. You know, but, but okay. You know what? Interestingly enough, I'm working on, say, um, I don't know, an event, a conference. And, and I really could use some help putting on the conference. And I said, well, you know what? I, I could help you with that. And we actually each take roles working for the other person in that, you know, particular endeavor. I've done this with people. Hmm. And so then you all of a sudden now have an accountability. If I asked you, look, you, will you help me with the book? And I don't follow through. I'm a dick. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I've got, I got no right, you know, even, you know, calling myself <laughs> an entrepreneur. Yeah. So, or a good friend. <laughs> yeah, or a good friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let alone that. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that we just do often we do better when we've got other people that are uh, waiting for us to deliver on a promise. I really think it makes a difference. So, uh, those are you know, and and uh, you know, there's it's not there's not one way to do it. Like, don't I don't want anybody who's listening to get wrapped up in the wait. So he did. He said, do it exactly like this. You, yeah. You get it's not that it's figure out a way to work with others at the earliest possible moment so you're not doing this alone, and that may get you into action. Yeah, and then you may not need them anymore, right? Once you get that momentum started, now I think Michael, that's a really outside the box kind of a tip, and uh, you know, but I can look at my own life and success and having mastermind partners, and you know, whether it's an accountability partner, mastermind partner, a little bit of both. Uh, yeah, I, I love that idea, and I've been in different environments where, kind of like you said, you know, maybe you're this person that you're going to partner with is a friend or a colleague, and maybe they're in an industry that's not at all related to you or, or what you do. Um, but often like, for example, I'm sure you can relate to this. My wife gives me the best fricking advice on stuff that she is totally outside the sphere of influence. She's a mom, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. she'll sure. give me the best business advice or book ideas or, you know, 
So, uh, so I love that. I love that. So everybody listening, and that's true, I think, any level that you're off, but especially, yeah, if you have big goals and dreams, but you're, you're not pursuing them, call up a friend today, today, literally today, okay? Call up a friend, say, hey, what are some goals or dreams that you would love to achieve if you could not fail, but you're not taking action on them? Let's meet once a week. Let's make some plans. Let's support each other. Uh, and let's, uh, you know, let, let's start making some progress. So Michael, thank you for that. I really, really like that idea. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. So, so far, so good. All right. Second scenario, someone that has, who has big goals that they are working towards, but it's taken them longer than they wanted to. They're, they're not where they want to be, or they're not where they thought they would be at this point. Maybe they're getting a little discouraged, a little frustrated. What would you tell them? I'd say sell the thing that you're working on before it's finished. That's how I did that all the time and still do that to a certain extent. In the beginning, I, the first information product I ever created in 2003, I'm dating myself. That's like a, it's like a grandpa in this industry. You were like 12, yeah. I was 12. <laughs> and it was, a, and it was, a, it was a, a CD set. Okay, so for those who are young, it's not a podcast. It's not on your phone. It, there are these things you round. So wait, so CD is like an acronym for something? <laughs> <laughs> so these round things you put into your car and they would play. And I said, you know what? I'm, I want to make a, an audio program, a CD program. And, you know, it's going to be about book yourself solid. This is before I had a book, anything. Yeah. I said, okay, well, I need some money to produce it. Because at that time, there was, wasn't print on you know, demand for those kind of things. You had to produce them. And I had to order about 3,000 of them uh, to make it affordable. Yeah. I didn't really have the money. So I said, well, let's see if I can sell it. So let me put together the outline. Let me write a sales page for what I believe will be in this. And then I'll sell it. And I'll say, listen, you know, when I bring this out, I'm going to charge $179. And in those days, you could charge $179 for two CDs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, content was not as easy to come by. Uh, so the, the market price was higher. Yeah. I said, I'm going to do a two CD set and here's what's going to be in it. Now, I haven't gone into the studio to do it yet. So I'm going to charge $179 when it comes out. But if you buy it before I record it, then you can have it for $69 and it'll never cost $69 ever anywhere again. That's a promise. Yeah. Well, I sold $7,000 worth of it. Wow. And I had just a small you know, group of subscribers, but they loved the idea. And, then if, and I gave them a due date. I said, listen, it's going to be done by this date. Now, that's scary because what if it's not done? Well, I'll tell you what, it got me in action. I got my part done. I sent it off to disc makers and they sent it back exactly when they were supposed to. We were right on schedule, but they put it in the wrong case. Huh. Yeah. So it didn't work. The, 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 um, uh, the, what's it called? Um, like the cover for the case, it, it didn't fit. It didn't <laughs> fit. So I had to send it back, but it was going to make the product a week late to deliver to my buyers. So I had a little um, ace up my sleeve. I had told them I was gonna do a two CD set for them, but I knew I was gonna do a three, D, three, D, three, CD set, three CD set. So my plan was, if nothing went wrong, just to say, hey, here's a bonus. But if, 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 um, if it didn't go wrong, then, uh, no, if it didn't if go it wrong, did go wrong bonus. Yeah. yeah, if it, if it did go wrong, then, I would have something to give them to make up for it. So that's exactly what I did. I said, listen, guys, we got a problem. It's a week late. Uh, the packaging was wrong, but I got this bonus for you. Here's what's on the bonus. I think you're going to love it. If you have any problems with, with this whatsoever, I will refund your money immediately. Um, you know, uh, because I want to always deliver on my promises. Uh, but if you can just hang in there a week, you're going to get this extra stuff. How many refunds do you think I got? 
Uh, zero? Zero, yeah. of course. And that made me produce this product. And that was the start of my whole information product career. That's what, that's what, that's what got me going. I love it. So yeah. sell it, or I would say, you know, for someone that doesn't have a product, you know, announce it, right? Announce it before it's ready. And, and we've done that as well, where I like with my first live event, I put it off for, you know, fear held me back for years. Uh, just the fear of what if nobody shows up, you know? Yeah, and right. um, you, I you, still have that fear. You've had that fear. I have that fear. I no, I still have that fear. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And everybody still shows up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I still, there are times I'd like, oh, I wish we sold more tickets, whatever. You know, that's normal. Sure. But I still have that fear. I'm like, is anybody going to come? I know. What I, if nobody know. buys tickets? What if I have a birthday party and nobody comes? You know, it's, the, it's that kind of feeling. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so for me, though, the way that I got over it, I just, I did exactly what you're talking about. I just, or, or similar, I, I put an announcement in uh, my community, you know, 20,000 people, or I guess it was 10,000 back then. I said, Hey guys, mark your calendar. Our first ever live event is the first weekend of December in San Diego, California. It's going to be life changing. Don't miss it. You know, and I hit click post, you know, and I went, holy crap, I got to figure out how to put on a live event first weekend in <laughs> December in San Diego, you know, that's right. But I mean, that's it. You've got to put it out there. And that's a great yeah. way to overcome, you know, if you're not, if you're not making progress, if you're procrastinating, et cetera, just make a commitment, make it public. Uh, and then unless you're okay being a, you know, a liar, <laughs> yeah, right. you'll find a way to get it done. I love it. So, all right. So last third scenario, somebody who is, is an achiever, right? So people listening, I mean, our, our podcast, it ranges, we've got, you know, we've got all, all, all ranges of people here. So someone that is already an achiever, they're very successful. Uh, maybe they're successful in one area though. They, they, you know, it's, you see it often where someone is very successful in business, but they're struggling or settling for mediocrity in another area, such as their health or their relationships. Um, how do you achieve extraordinary success in, you know, most, if not all of the important areas in your life? How do you balance that and keep striving for success in all these areas, even though you've, you've already achieved so much? Yeah. So just, uh, it's really important. I say this again and again. So people who listen to me a number of times, uh, you know, they've, they've heard this at nauseum, but I don't have it all figured out and I am not perfect in all areas. That's really, really important. Yeah. I feel like I have, you know, I've, I have, you know, I have definitely achieved a lot when I look back, I don't often give myself a lot of pats on the back for what I've achieved, sure. you know? I, I actually try to make a habit of doing so because if I look back, you know, I used to race bikes and I did pretty well and I have, you know, um, I used to teach uh, Aikido and I have black belt there and then I have five years in jujitsu and, you know, like I have lots of things that I've done, uh, but I don't really think of them as, as special, you know? Yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is that I did them because I enjoyed them. As simple as that. Yeah. And until we're interested in something, we're probably not going to spend a lot of time doing it. So what gets us interested in something? So either we just have an innate interest in it, uh, we're just drawn to it and we can't even tell you why, or we see the benefits of it and those benefits are stronger than our disinterest in it. So let's use um, retirement savings as an example. When I was younger, I was great at spending money. I'm still really good at spending money. <laughs> I, I have a skill. I have a natural talent for spending money. I like stuff. You know, yeah. like I like like I have a great boat. I want a bigger boat. Yeah. You know, I, I just <laughs> it's just it's just in there. I'm a maximizer. You know. Yeah, sure. And so I have to work against that. 
uh, you know, as I said uh, earlier. But when I was younger, you know, the future didn't really, didn't really seem like something I would ever have to worry about. And to me, I would look at as savings as worrying about the future. You see, there's something wrong with that, with that thought process, that picture. What, what I realized over time, and there's a re very specific reason that, I, that the realization came to me, is that, you know, the first, maybe first 30 years is for learning. Next 30 years is for earning. Next 30 years is for doing whatever the heck you want, wherever the heck you want. And you've got to be, you've got to be comfortable. You've got to have the means to do it for that last 30 years. But until I met Amy, who is my fiance, and we're getting married. Actually, depending on when someone's listening to this, we might already be married. <laughs> Congratulations, either in advance or, well, I guess, Thank you. as of today, it would well, be in advance. Yeah. yeah, for today, it would be in advance. <laughs> sure. Um, so that really, you know, that changed the way I saw the world because I saw a future for us that was extraordinary. And that meant I needed to do things differently now to create that future. So it became more important to me. You see, hmm. I didn't have a fear necessarily that was holding me back from planning for the future. I just didn't see the value. I mean, I can understand it intellectually. Sure. But it's a lot, you know, it's this connection to it. Why, why is it important to you? If it's just an idea, it's really hard to do something with it. But usually pain moves us pretty quickly. Yeah, sure. Uh, or, um, or desires. But if we're not moving towards the desires, it's usually the pain that can help us get started. You know, if you, if you don't have money in your bank account, you're probably going to work harder than if you've got money and you're comfortable and, you know, you, know you, you might not push yourself quite so hard. Sure. Yeah. That's, no. why, people worry, that's why people worry about trust fund kids. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got everything there. Now, I, w I, I used to tell my parents that I would be perfectly fine with being a trust fund kid. And they would say, well, you, we have no money, so that's <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, but I, I would say I would not take advantage of that. I would be perfectly, you know, anyhow. Yeah, sure. Back then, yeah, with that maturity level, you, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, you, were, you, were, you, you and I both salesmen, like born salesmen, right? Trying to convince, start with our convincing of our parents. Yeah, exactly. When they, but they were like, you know, we'd be happy to do that for you, except we don't have any money for you. You don't have the means. That. And, they, and you're, I'm sure you're thankful for that. I mean, I, my parents put me to work at age 11, and I had to work my butt off from that point on, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And I'm, so it taught me to work. You know, it taught me to, to, to self-reliant. I mean, one of the greatest lessons I think we can teach our kids. Well, let's wrap up with this. I'd love to wrap up. If you don't mind sharing, what is your number one goal for the, the present or the future? Uh, and, and what's your strategy or your plan for achieving it? Mm. Well, I would say the number one goal, you know, we keep hitting on this retirement thing. Uh, and, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, I think. And so folks who are older who are listening you know, may feel a little closer to this point, but being set up for retirement, you know, we know yeah. when, what age we want to retire and we want to, you know, we have a particular goal that we're working towards. So the work we're doing, uh, is get, is to get us to a point where we don't have to work. That's, you know, that's a really, really important part of our life. And that's one big goal. Uh, so that's the, the farther term. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, what, what, what we're doing now is trying to be lean, in the business, trying to be as lean as we can, not trying to be uh, you make you know tr trying to, trying not to be operationally heavy, 
and uh, streamline operations. I mean, these are the things that at our stage of business, these are the things that you need to continue to work on uh, to to produce more profit because it doesn't really matter. If you make, you know, in our industry, people talk about how much revenue they make. It doesn't really mean anything unless you're taking it home. Yeah. So if, if you make $10 million and it costs you $9,999,000 to make it, it doesn't mean anything. Or $12 million, right? Which yeah. Which is probably more common. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, right. You know, so uh, so it's, you know, that's a big part of, of our focus and, and learning more and more and more about how to really run that type of business because as your business grows, you often uh, are now doing different things in the business. You know, I have different responsibilities now in the business than I did when it was me and one virtual assistant sure. you know, 10 years ago, so. Sure. Well, all right, and let, you know, take a second to tell people um, before we wrap up, I, I, you know, your new book, Steal the Show, is out. People are loving it. Um, in fact, the tagline, oh, I just want to read it for everybody. It's from speeches to job interviews to deal-closing pitches, how to guarantee a standing ovation for all the performances in your life. Take a minute to tell us what this book is about and, and what it will do for the reader. Oh, this book is so great. It's about stealing the show during, during life's high-stakes situations. It is a tour de force on public speaking technique. There's no doubt about that. But it is also a lot more than that. It is, it is a fact that if you can perform at a high level during life's high-stakes situations, like, as you said, negotiations, job interviews, uh, pitches, even the first time that you meet your future in-laws. If you can perform well during those high-stakes situations, then you can have a big, big life. Mm. But if you fold when the spotlight is on you and you don't play as big a game. So what I've done is I've taken my training and my experience as an actor and I've applied acting techniques and created a methodology for the non-actor to use so that they can perform at a high level authentically, and that's the key. And you don't need to be an entertainer to be a performer. You need to be someone who is willing to be in service of the people in front of you. And that may be one person across the table, or it might be 1,000 or 10,000 in a huge auditorium. But either way, authentic performance is what is going to win the day for you, and that's what the book is about. I love it. We actually, my uh, business partner, John Berghoff, and I did an, uh, a podcast episode probably, I don't know, a month or so ago uh, on exactly that. It was kind of the idea that, you know, that that professional or public speaking skills are just their communication skills, right? It, yeah. It's how to influence another human being yeah. or a group of human beings to uh, to, to get a result or, or an That's outcome. Right. Yeah, so. yeah, and you're always speaking in public unless you're, you know, speaking to yourself in your head. Yeah. And you're trying to you know, get people to think a different way to feel differently to do something different and you know that's performance yeah and you're arguably I mean, you're one of the best when i when i saw you speak at mastermind talks uh you know that was where we met we met in person for the first yeah. time and uh i mean you know we we had to vote for our number one favorite speaker and it was just a, a whole cast of world-class speakers and uh i you know I, I told you afterwards man i voted for you you were phenomenal thank just blew you, thank me you away. so much that yeah. is that, that really meant a lot to me when you told me that i, I really I have great respect and appreciation for you and, and the work you do. So that meant a lot. Thank you. You got it, man. Well, if you're listening, Steal the Show is the book. Go grab it on Amazon. And uh, Michael, what's the best way if somebody wants to uh, get more info on you, reach out to you? Uh, what's yeah. the best way to do that? Yeah, so, so michaelport.com has got everything that we do, the heroic public speaking side of the business, book yourself solid, book yourself solid side of the business. 
Uh, all of it uh, is there. And if you ever need me, just shoot an email to questions at michaelport.com, questions at michaelport.com. And also go subscribe to Steal the Show with Michael Port, the podcast. It's ah. really quite good. Lots of, re- it's a very, very content driven podcast. Um, five minute, 15 minute, 25 minute episodes, uh, f- you, know, we're, uh, you know, using content directly from the book. So they get a really clear sense of, of what's in the book, and uh, it'll help you for sure. That's fantastic. Well, I appreciate you being on, my friend. Thanks so much. Oh, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, Goal Achievers, thank you for tuning in to another episode. I appreciate you. I love you. I tell you that every week. Thank you so much for your time and your energy, your love and attention. Uh, right back at you. And until next week, go out there, set some big, big, big goals, follow Michael's advice, and achieve them because you deserve nothing less. I'll talk to you soon. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. So hopefully you enjoyed this interview between Hal and Michael. Michael is truly one of uh, my favorite authors. I've been, uh, I have several of his books, including Book Yourself Solid and Book Yourself Solid Illustrated. I highly recommend that one. But now we're actually going through, I'm in a book club where we're reading Steal the Show right now. I'm about halfway through. Highly recommend it if you do any sort of public speaking at all. If you're pitching anything, I definitely think this is a book you should check out. So be sure to let us know what your big takeaways were from this episode by going to halorod.com slash 101 for episode number 101. And just, yeah, let us know your big takeaways and what you've enjoyed from this interview. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by going to halorod.com slash iTunes, clicking the little subscribe button, and then please leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. That is truly the best way to show your appreciation for the show because it helps more people find out about the podcast and decide if this is the one for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there, take action, and achieve your goals. looking to grow your business using podcasting but don't have the time to edit the audio insert the intro and outro write up the show notes post the episode to all the different sites and do all of the ridiculous back-end work that's required then you need yourpodcastguru.com where you bring the content and we take care of the rest we'll even co-host the show for you visit yourpodcastguru.com right now to explode your audience and crush it in the podcasting world